Steve Jobs has that saying, stay hungry, stay foolish, right? To me, the key to being able to do that is by, at least on a regular basis, realizing and accepting that you're gonna die. So it's our last episode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> of this season, of this season. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of fitting that we're talking about death in a certain way, right? <laughs> also very morbid, I would say. For everybody that's listening is like, really? Like, you guys are talking about death on your podcast? I'd be like, what? What is? what are our goals going into this episode? Maybe we should articulate that. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's kind of trendy to be talking about death right now. I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, maybe not podcasts, but personally maybe it's just because i've been thinking about it a lot but now that i've been thinking it i've been seeing it in a lot of other places mm-hmm. um but the the goal i think is just to to kind of explore what what is it that's how does how does what does society kind of get wrong about death what society gets yeah. wrong with death what our relationship with death is yeah and how we feel like those two different perspectives can kind of merge together and and create a new vision of how we how we view death and how we live our lives. I mean, so I can I can just go ahead and this is my stance on death. It's just that life being finite is what makes life valuable, right? And constantly thinking about and recognizing and accepting the fact that you're going to die. It's very I mean, literally it's taking YOLO very literally, right? Yeah. <laughs> you only live once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is a very motivating sentiment to me. Right, because were you on the YOLO train? When, when I don't know. I would I would not say it, but I really I mean as a tr- as a meme. But I definitely agree with that sentiment. It doesn't. I think everyone interprets it differently though, because I think that originally when YOLO was a thing, it was all about like oh, so like go party and drink and like have fun or whatever. But I think it can equally be applied to work really hard and like accomplish something or do something that's going to make you proud or something. Right? Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and. And to add to that, right, like when YOLO first came out, was it a Drake song, you think? that? Yeah. He, oh, was it? That's it why was, it was It was thing? Drake's uh, The Motto, which ended up being a top hit. And then in that song, he was like, you only live once. That's the motto, you know, YOLO. Oh, well, I'm just culturally <laughs> illiterate. So. <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, that's not necessarily, I think, where it really came from. But I know that's how it became elevated in pop culture. Yeah. Um, was through that song. And a lot of people also use the phrase YOLO to be like, fuck it mentality. Like, uh, I'm dropping all this money. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm living my best life like YOLO right. <laughs> like, I'm doing all these crazy things YOLO <laughs> right and um, I can say I was a proud member of the YOLO movement we had a good time you know, <laughs> we would rally around <laughs> just do a bunch of dumb things but as I got older and really thought about what it meant to really live once and what it means to live a meaningful life and what it means to you know move on to your next chapter when you're old and gray and you know um, just reaching that point of your life uh, where you're reflecting and thinking about your own mortality um, can be, you know, really scary. It can be really hard. It can be really challenging. Uh, I think also just me being a young person going to a lot of different funerals this past year, it also just opened my eyes to just how much more support we need in our community, in our society to help folks navigate the process of just having a funeral itself of having a family member or friend or or anybody close to you pass away and not knowing what to do 
like that has really resonated with me in the last year and um just like thinking of ways of like why like how can we solve the various issues that come up when somebody passes away um how can we provide more information about where to find um like good funeral homes caskets how to organize a memorial ceremony organize a wig how to even go about the process of handling that person's you know belongings and finances and estates and things like that um a lot of people don't know Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of resources out there to help them um it's a lot of things that you learn on the fly you get scammed a lot by paying lots of money um, for quote-unquote experts to help you navigate that, not knowing, you know, that you may be spending too much. Um, maybe it's not the industry rate. Like, maybe you could be finding a better deal somewhere else. So, yeah, I've, I've just been thinking more about that. Um, and then that, in turn, has also led me to think more about my relationship with death and how I want to, you know, navigate that process or what that looks like and what does it mean to me to die do I live on forever? Do I stay here? Um, it challenge. I think like I've really challenged my own like spiritual and religious beliefs around that too. So just doing a whole lot of navigating. Mm-hmm. I think that's where at least me, my mindset coming into this episode is like, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really interested to come back to like the whole challenging your spiritual beliefs kind of thing. But I wanted to give some context behind why I've been interested in this topic a lot recently. So, um, a friend of mine had sort of sent me a video by Caitlin Dowdy, and she's this woman who is what I kind of consider the founder of the modern day death positivity movement, which is, um, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> um, basically a movement that is trying to get people to talk about death more. And, you know, as it's, it's kind of a play off of sex positivity of just trying to feel more positively about it and understand um, and just not be afraid. Um, and so part of that has been, there's, there's a lot of these death cafes that happen, um, around DC and a lot of major cities and they are basically gatherings where people will come together and talk about death, whether it, and sometimes it will be more spiritual stuff. Like sometimes there'll be people trying to grapple with someone that they know dying, or it could, it can get very sort of pragmatic, like the kind of stuff that you were talking about where people are trying to figure out just basic logistics. Like if I want to have the most environmentally friendly death that I can, where, what, what do I do? And they've been really interesting. And it hasn't just been, I was expecting it to just be older people, but actually there's a there's a whole range of ages that attend them. Um, what is the main driver for everybody who's attending these meetings? Do they share like what brought them there? Yeah, yeah. That's usually one of the first things that people, they usually ask at the beginning, why, what brought you here? Um, and there's all kinds of different reasons. In my experience, it, often I think there's people who either had near-death experiences themselves. That's actually really common. And they, that triggered them having a more profound relationship with death, right? And then there's people who are terminal. There is this woman at the last one, sure she had like a terminal illness. Um, and there's people who, I don't know, like people who are just interested. There's a lot of people. So there's, there's also this thing called a death doula. A lot of people I think have heard of birth doulas before, but death doulas are doing a similar thing, basically where you help someone through, if they're at the end of their life, 
the process um, of dying and helping your family, the family around them who's grieving as well. Um, but right now it's definitely trending upwards. Um, there's various doula training programs. And right now I think it's mostly something that people will do on a volunteer basis, but I'm really hoping that it will get to the point of being common enough that, that people can actually be professional death doulas and, and do it for money. So there's a lot of death doulas who usually host them. That That is kind of the impetus uh, behind the, the whole death cafe movement. But they're really interesting. And, you know, I really encourage people, if you if you guys are at all interested in this topic, to find one. If you just go on, like, deathcafe.com, they list all the ones, I think, worldwide. There's actually a movement that was started in the U.K., but yeah, so like I've I've met so many people who have whether they're I you know I just met with like a funeral director the other day who was doing one. Um, there was also a woman that I met who so she's part of this rock climbing organization that would have like a funeral fund for people. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was really cool. It's the first time I had heard of a secular example of that. I know a lot of temples and mosques and churches will do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was super cool. Um. I think especially having the opportunity to just be in a space and be open and transparent to share your experiences with death is something that like, I don't know, when you first said you were going to these death cafes, I was like, what? Like that exists? Like that happens? And it's here? I mean, we're in the D.C. metro area and it, it happens quite frequently. It seems yeah. like there's at least once every there's month. like or once three least, or four this month. Yeah. Every yeah. Couple, every couple weeks. So one, that's awesome. Um, two, I feel like also in, in tangent with that, um, there have been, I've come across a lot of different blogs. Um, you mentioned the death positive uh, movement, um, but also like just other people who are blogging about their experiences with death and how to go get over like all the various trauma that they have, especially if it's like a close parent or sibling, um, which has been really moving to me. And I've, I've been really trying to think of like how to, what to do with all this information. I feel like I've just been hit with like a whole wall of like, all of this information about like how people are navigating the process of planning funerals of uh, the process of just like grieving grieving itself is something that has been really big and something that i've noticed in, and specifically the ethiopian funerals that i attend um the grieving process itself is so so important people at the funeral literally come in yelling <laughs> wailing um just like expressing their grief and sadness and like just getting it all out. Like just that that day, that week, actually a couple weeks <laughs> uh, uh, of, of uh, going through the funeral kind of ceremonies. Um, and the Ethiopian community is really important and really special. Um, and I find that it helps people just have a better relationship uh, to the person that passed away, like I feel like they're able, what I've noticed is people really put their grief out there, just like, I don't know, they seem lighter, I would say, mm -hmm. after that whole process. Like just the process so of getting it all out. You think it's healthier? I think it's healthier. Um, I think it, I, I do think it's healthier. I haven't, I mean, I've attended a couple American funerals where that's not always like a thing, like just, I mean, people cry, like, probably, like, whoever the immediate family is, like, giving speeches, it's really tough. Um, but in terms of, like, everybody else that's there, everybody's, like, pretty, it's pretty sullen, I think. Well, like, I mean, in terms of the actual, like, screaming or wailing, like, mm -hmm. that's never a thing, right, yeah. in America. And I wonder, I mean, there's not that many contexts where you ever get to do that. 
And I appreciate that, at least in Ethiopian culture, like that's a thing. Like you are essentially one with with everybody that's there. Mm -hmm. And so when one person starts wailing or crying, like it's a chain effect. Like everybody around them, like, you know, feels their pain and put like carries it. And it's like this collective kind of weight. And it's actually like a really moving experience when it uh, gets suddenly quiet. Like when everybody's kind of like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, it sounds it's super out. powerful. It's, yeah, it's su- it's a super powerful moment. Like I've really never experienced anything like that. And it happens kind of often. Like it happens throughout the day of, of that funeral and actually a couple days after too. It's really, I think, beneficial. Yeah, because I don't think that one thing that I, I really take issue with in American society at large, even outside of funerals or anything death related, is that we don't give ourselves any opportunity to emote Mm-hmm. in a really visceral way mm-hmm. right there was one so in college before finals week starts the day before the first day of finals we had this thing called primal scream where what happens you know, we all just go to the cafeteria basically and when the clock strikes midnight we all just scream really loudly basically for as long as you can you have to take a really really big breath and then just like try to get all of it out at once so oh, that's fun yeah and that's like very rare that you get an opportunity to really let anything out like that and so I imagine you know at a funeral when you're grieving is one of the biggest times when you really really need to do that and have that outlet it's super important super key I feel like you just get all the feelings out and you're able to just take on the day way better Mm mm-hmm as I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, I've been really interested in trying to start a company for a while now. And a friend of mine totally randomly came up to me and knew that I was trying to start a company for a while. And was like, hey, I have a, I have a really good idea for you. His uncle had recently died and his dad had been in charge of organizing everything. And he had been looking for a casket for his brother and was just absolutely appalled to find out the prices of caskets on average they're like three thousand four thousand dollars um but i've actually been looking at a lot of the general price lists at funeral homes in the area recently and they actually can get up to like thirty six thousand dollars like really (laughs) really expensive but anyway so he was like i could just make this for myself like why don't yeah and so he basically went to home depot got some wood and made one for like two hundred dollars he basically was came to me and was like hey like this is something that is really not like unclear to me why this is so expensive right and as someone I really love listening to how both of us really love listening to how I built this um, which is an NPR podcast about entrepreneurship and they feature stories about different entrepreneurs and I think it's a pretty classic story for an entrepreneur to be like wait a second why is this so expensive it's like the Warby Parker story yeah exactly like identify an industry that just like has the whole market saturated and then just copy what they're doing and make it cheaper Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, they did that with glasses. There's this woman actually in DC who did the same thing with picture frames because it's like, it's literally just glass and wood. Why is it so expensive? So basically that's like a pretty classic business model. And so it's the kind of thing where he's like, well, you could just do the same thing with caskets. And the more I've been sort of researching it, the more I am realizing that, you know, that that is the case. But, and so that's sort of how I got into the death positivity stuff. But what I'm realizing is that there's so much where, the the mo of the funeral industry is to just use money as a proxy for meaning right and and basically like paying more for a nicer casket like paying a lot of money for a 
a beautiful bouquet of flowers and it's just like extra expensive because it's for a funeral. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's a lot of this and sometimes it can get kind of emotionally exploitative of like, oh, like you would never spend only $2,000 on your mother's casket or whatever, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, so that's kind of something that for my, for my personal desire for how I would want the industry to change is coming up with ways for how you can actually find real meaning as opposed to just like spending more money and be like, oh, that's, I did my work, you know, I, I paid my respects, right? Because yeah, that's something that I think can also be very healing is how do you actually commemorate someone? right yeah have you thought about how you yourself like would want to be commemorated after you die I have you have (laughs) I have thought about this um not too much in depth the one aspect though that really sticks in my mind when I when I think of this specifically of how I would imagine like my death going and how I'd want to be commemorated is that I would just really hope it wasn't like a drag like Mm -hmm. a really sad event and like like a, a venue that may not be that mo- the most uplifting. Something that we've talked about a lot is just like funeral homes are kind of like being outed. People are looking outside of funeral homes to host their funerals, which I think is really interesting. In the Ethiopian community, at, at least in my family specifically too, a lot of funerals are hosted in like churches, party halls or uh, stuff like that for the wake and or for any other commemoration of life. And it just always seems like just very sad. Mm -hmm. It's just very like, that would be the one thing I think of when I'm like, oh, how do I want my celebration of life to go? It's like, I'd want it to be a celebration. Like I'd want it to be, not be like a a really like sad thing. Yeah. Well, one thing that just from going to the death cafes, I've heard more and more people doing is just what you said, like the commemoration of life. And usually Mm -hmm. it'll be a lot not a lot, but like maybe six months after the death so that people kind of have the time to grieve and then they can maybe focus on the positive, like Mm. being happy and really like having a a celebration, you know? Because like I also do think that that's a really nice thing, but if, I mean, inevitably people are going to be upset, so you don't necessarily want to force people to like be happy or whatever. Well, yeah. 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 Um, So I think that one, yeah, it's been really interesting to see how people have come up with really positive ways mm-hmm. of sort of commemorating people. So I have this one friend from camp who died very young, like when I was in high school. And she was in high school. She was my age. And she had her, her family create a Facebook page that was just a remembering Kendra page. And... What they did is whenever, for people who came to the funeral, they gave out rocks. They had rocks made that had her name carved into it. And they would give it to everyone. Everyone got a bunch of rocks. And then she loved traveling. So whenever anyone would travel somewhere, they would bring the rock with them. And then they would take a picture of the rock in that place and then leave the rock there. That's so sweet. Yeah. And they post it to the Facebook page. Yeah, and then they post it to the Facebook. So it's like an ongoing... I think really healthy, positive way of being like, oh, I'm thinking of this person and I'm kind of taking with them with me wherever I go. Um, and it's kind of an interesting way of, of including technology because I feel like often when people think of how do I involve technology in death rituals, it seems very alienating, right? Yeah. Um, you know, just like faceless people posting on this person's Facebook wall and stuff like that. Um, but that that example to me seemed like such a good way to ritualize it in, in a very healthy way. Yeah. You know? No, I love that idea. Are there other ideas that I've seen from other other families have been like organizing some kind of like 5K run or something around 
that person and like having themes that reflect that person's like personality or identity and and yeah doing a lot of just like scrapbooking Mm -hmm. I think there's also a lot of it's been interesting a lot of businesses that I think now are realizing the need of of creating better uh technology solutions for memorabilia so like a lot of people that have a lot of old photographs and they want to digitize it to like safe keep of maybe like especially like of somebody that they've lost and you only realize you know when somebody has passed away that maybe you don't have any pictures of them or something like that um so creating solutions to better commemorate people and like save those for the future i think has been cool yeah, and I, yeah, I, I realized I forgot to finish giving the context to the casket thing. But so <laughs> then, like, th- one of the ways that I've been thinking about in terms of how to commemorate people better is coming up with um, local artists to create a work of art and make the casket into a work of art that really symbolizes that person. And you could either have basically the person themselves do it if they're sort of pre-planning their funeral, which more people should do. Yeah, um, that's like a really big crisis in the U.S. because then. A, people who are sort of left behind if you don't have a plan often feel like they didn't necessarily do the person who died like do them justice right Mm -hmm. so that's like a really big thing and then also just like if people wanted to you know if your family members wanted to come together and like think up a good work of art or something that would commemorate them that would that could go on the casket and I feel like that'd be a really cool opportunity for an artist to do as well so that's that's just what I'm thinking about right now yeah and I think it it makes total sense too right like to have the casket and other like significant memorabilia reflect the person's identity yeah like urns Uh, or any of that kind of thing yeah and even like just in general the use of creativity and art and expression is like very popular yeah the world needs more art that's the one thing that can't be automated right right exactly exactly (laughs) But I'm curious, I want to go back to the thing that you were mentioning about like having it sort of challenge, I don't know, spiritually what you were thinking, like what, what, what was your sort of preconception before you kind of like had a bunch of funerals recently and I've been thinking about it more? Yeah. I mean, well, growing up, I've mentioned on the podcast probably various times, like I grew up um, in a Christian Eastern Orthodox household, specifically Ethiopian Eastern Orthodox. And I went to Catholic school for eight years. So I had a very like strong foundation Christianity and so like always throughout life I think it was like you know you have heaven and hell these are two things and you do good things you go to heaven you do bad things you go to hell what I always struggled with was what do you do throughout your life and I always just struggled with when I die like am I doing good things because when I'm scared of when I die I'm, I'm not gonna go to heaven like that to me was like a really flawed concept so well is this something that really shaped like decisions that you made in life I think early on it did like probably like an early childhood but I think as I started to get older I just kind of realized that it wasn't like that simple and just challenging that general thought so once I was attending I think more funerals it also showed to me the connectedness connectedness that you have like even once somebody passes away like just like their spirit or essence is still embodied in the people that they surrounded themselves with. I had always thought about before, like, just like when somebody dies, like they die. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, peace out. <laughs> like, um, we don't really talk about them again, um, which a lot of people don't. Um, but I have found that in going through a lot of at a lot of funerals and just having a lot of friends and family that have gone through the process of losing a loved one, that it's actually healthier for you to continue talking about that person um, and keeping like their spirit alive in your conversations with people and stuff like that. 
I feel like growing up, I was scared of death because it was just very extreme to me. Like I felt like I was doing bad things in my life. So I was going to hell. So I was scared to die. Like it was like logical reasoning like that. And then it kind of just changed like just the older I got. And it wasn't like that binary of good or bad. And then you go to heaven or hell it was more like, okay, you try to live a good life, live a meaningful life, try to help people. And like you, you still live on no matter what, like your memory still lives on and just being comfortable with, with what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that's why, I mean, even, even people who are not religious or think they're going to heaven or hell or something are, can, are afraid of death, right? Do you think that is, why, why, why do you think that is the case? I, that's a really good question. I do think a lot of people are scared to go to hell. Mm-hmm. I do think that, um, I think that is a big driver in a lot of people's fear of death. I mean, another fear of death, I feel like it's just like they can't imagine life outside of what it is right now. So like just the concept of dying, it's like a whole black hole, something you have no idea about or no experience in, and it's scary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have this one friend actually who, he signed up for this cryogenic service where they freeze your body. Remember you told me about this. Yeah, or they (laughs) freeze your brain or something. I don't know if they like preserve your entire body, but basically the idea is that they're going to freeze your body and then wake you up in some set amount of time, like a hundred years, a thousand years. And basically the idea is that you get the opportunity to sort of like get reawakened and see the future once we've like... Like actually, do that. does that work? Like, do you but think it's is, actually real? I think that they're they're they have acknowledged that they don't know how to do it yet, but they're banking on the notion that people will figure out how to do it in the future. So just put your down deposit deposit today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And it's crazy expensive too. It's like a thousand bucks a month for the whole rest of your life. Oh my god. Yeah. So it's really like the kind of thing that he. I mean, it's to me, it's kind of crazy that you would get it this young. But I mean. He, I guess technically he could get hit by a bus tomorrow and get frozen. Okay. I guess following that chain of thought, how do you feel about like us just being young people and the, th- you know, yeah, it's very much possible that like to tomorrow can be your last day. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you are prepared for that? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like that is literally the way that is the best way to live. You know, you should live is, I mean, that's like such a cliche, right? Yeah. But, but actually (laughs) though, there's a, it's a cliche for a reason. I think it's, it's like a positive mentality to have just because I think so much of the way we frame our lives. And I think maybe this is specific to our generation. I don't know if this is true for older generations. We've talked a little bit about this before too, but I feel like a lot of the way we build up who we are and what our value is or purpose is in life is around achieving something and like what we're you know what have you done you know and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing and like what your legacy is and I'm just currently in the process of grappling with is that the best way to conceive of your sort of value and your purpose Mm -hmm. um just like the thing that motivates you day to day Mm -hmm. is it should it be about being able to achieve something because it is kind of a privileged thing to think right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people in the world have very basic goals of like, I need to feed myself. I need to feed my family. I need to be able to sustain, right? Like a certain but in quality that context. Life. Would you not say that that is an achievement? No, no, no. I yeah. mean, I guess it just depends on what you consider achievement. The way I've been using it is just like, oh, like I did some impressive thing. Like I was voted into Congress. I was like, you know, this like broader yeah. goals that gotcha. I think are people's like more like lofty dreams of like what I'm going to accomplish in my life. Makes sense. Right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think for both of us, we've been talking about a lot about, you know, creating company and like that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and this just one, th- yeah. One thing that I've been thinking about is how can we reconceive of the, you know, of the way we live and it being a good or bad life in a way that's outside of like deliverables, you know, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I think it's just like, how do you measure or yeah. How do you measure or monitor what your impact is? What makes you feel good? What makes you feel connected to other people, connected to the world, connected to like something bigger than you, being bigger than yourself and finding some kind of grounding in that and exploring that. I feel like it's also important in being comfortable with dying tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like once you're connected to something that's bigger than you or you've done something that's bigger than you, you can confidently, you know, say like, ah, I have achieved this thing and that achievement milestone is literally just based off of what what you were trying to do and becoming bigger than yourself mm-hmm. yeah and 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 even using the word impact i feel like is very unique to our generation yeah. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> buzz, i feel like it's a really big buzzword yeah because yeah. like even that it implies that you know you feel as if you can like you know create this like bigger yeah. you know ripple outside of yourself where I, whereas you know i do feel like earlier generations were just like hey like are my kids happy then i'm happy right yeah (laughs) obviously there's no real conclusions that people can draw but basically the thing i'm grappling with is like how can you not be as deliverables focused um while still having sort of larger goals that you're working towards because it's the kind of thing where it's like oh well okay i have scaled mount everest i've become an olympic athlete like now what right (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny because i was um actually talking to my aunt meski yesterday and she's going back to ethiopia today where she lives and um she was just telling me, she was like, oh my gosh, Marilyn, like, I feel like you've been working a lot. Like, I see you. You remind me of me in, you know, my late 20s, early 30s, where I was working all the time, just doing 12-hour shifts, like, every day. And I burnt out. And I see that you're reaching the point of burning out. And I want you to know that this American lifestyle is not it. <laughs> Basically, is what she told me. She was like, you really need to challenge yourself and and think about when you're doing this work like am I taking care of myself am I is this important to me do I need to be doing this right now and if not doing the things that are meaningful and give you joy and give you happiness and give you peace so I I've just been thinking about that today too as I was thinking about coming in this episode talking about death and what that means I just feel like a lot of times here in the states you know we're in this like rat race (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. there's constant competition there's constant just like i'm reaching the next level i'm reaching my next goal i'm leveling up we've talked about leveling up on the podcast this past season and what does this all mean like why do we need to be doing these things why can't it just be simple as like you say i'm happy the people around me are happy i'm doing things i'm i'm happy that's it it's simple i'm happy you're happy we're all happy where, where did that get lost in our evolution? Especially because I think having these other goals, you're compromising the happiness piece, right? Because, mm-hmm. you you know, when you do get burnt out, you're not happy. Yeah, you're not happy. People around you aren't happy. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, maybe your boss is happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be the one person. But yeah, it's difficult though when you're in an environment that really encourages that. Mm-hmm. How do you stay grounded in yourself and just say no or stay true to what you want to do 
or control your environment? How do you control your environment within an environment that's chaotic and aggressive and wants you to work yourself to the bone? Capitalism. Capitalism. (laughs) In a nutshell. Yeah. 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 So as, as I've been thinking about what death means to me, what my relationship with death is and how to move forward from this, the phrase or motto that just keeps coming back to me is just be happy. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> and just, you know, living your own authentic self, being your own authentic self, being true to yourself. And, but at the same time, still constantly being curious about life, still learning, still growing, being comfortable with tomorrow being your last day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being comfortable, um, challenging things, being comfortable being the villain in things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our podcast is titled I'm the Villain for a Reason. Uh, we, really have strived in this first season to really be critical, um, not just of our society, but also of ourselves, what we think, how we feel, um, and grow from those findings. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Praise. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is the wrap of season one. Um, We just both want to sincerely thank everybody for listening again. Um, All 10 episodes have been a real learning experience. Learned a whole lot about what it means to make a podcast, what it means to um, record and edit and advertise and connect with people outside of ourselves. And that's been really freaking cool. Yeah. We're planning on coming back. We're going to take a hiatus in August and then we're going to try to come back in September. So stay tuned. And keep following us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook at I'm the Villain Podcast, on Instagram at I'm the Villain Pod on Twitter, and we will post updates. we made a difference in somebody's life (laughs) (laughs) okay